Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. So Judges chapter 6 and from verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ephra that belonged to Joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites. So today we're dealing with the last line. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours. What do you think of when you see this statement? Sounds pretty great. Power, glory, yes, yes, we like that. Hang on a second. The whole point about this statement is the last bit. These aren't for us. The kingdom, the power, the glory are yours, God's. Now this is actually a statement of praise, handing everything back to God. It's called the doxology. And none of it is what we would expect. The funny thing about the traditional ending to the Lord's Prayer is it doesn't come in either Matthew's Gospel or in Luke's Gospel, where the two places where the Lord's Prayer occurs in the New Testament. It's found in a little work called the Didache, or the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, which some may think, lots of scholars think, comes from the first century, so it's very early. So even if Jesus Jesus didn't exactly say the words, the kingdom, the power, and the glory, even if they don't go back to Jesus himself, they certainly were seen by many in the early church as a natural and appropriate way of rounding off the prayer. And they're easily glossed over. Jesus talks about kingdom a lot in the New Testament. And his followers, his disciples, would have ideas about this. Now at the time, Jesus and his followers were living in Israel. And they were ruled over by the Roman Empire, which grew because of conquering. They would invade with their terrifyingly efficient army, take over, take all the wealth, the animals, the grain, the people as slaves. Then they would bring their version of peace. And Rome was ruled over by Caesar. Caesar had a kingdom, he had power, he had glory, he reigned in absolute majesty, he had thousands of people to do his bidding. And Israel had been ruled over for years and years by the absolute majesty of Caesar. Caesar wasn't bothered about forgiveness. He might give you bread if you were lucky. And his kingdom certainly was coming, but no one would look forward to it. The Lord's Prayer had a vastly different meaning to the original believers who said this prayer. 
the early church would say this Lord's Prayer and pray that God himself would show up in Jesus to be the true Lord of the world. The early church wanted Jesus to show Caesar up as a self-serving, self-aggrandizing, would-be Lord. They knew exactly what kingdom looked like at that point, what power meant, what glory was. And we have the same message today. Power, glory. Gareth Bale, 98.35 million in transfers. Selena Gomez, 124 million followers on social media. Donald Trump, leader of the most powerful nation on earth. Kingdom, power, glory. Check. We as a world look at them. And we think that they have the kingdom, the power, the glory. Just like in Jesus' day, everyone knew of Caesar. They didn't like Caesar. They didn't like the empire. But it was obvious they had power. And everyone still wants to be power, powerful. We want influence. We want a big house, massive. Let's call it a palace. We'd like some money to be rich. Let's call it massive. We want to rule over others. That's what we're told. We want glory. I want to be noticed. We want our own little or not so little kingdom. Yes, kingdom is where a king has influence. But if we follow God, it should be us building God's kingdom. Him working through us. There's a really subversive quality that we can easily miss. In the minds of the early church, this was a call for the same God who brought his people out of Egypt when they were ruled over by the pharaohs, when they were enslaved. This was a call for them to have freedom and exodus just as Moses took them out of Egypt by parting the Red Sea. So God called his people. He said he had a plan and a purpose and he led them with mighty Moses. But you know what? Jesus did not mean a Caesar Trumpian kind of kingdom at all. This wasn't what this praise was all about. It isn't what Jesus was all about. No, it's not about getting stuff for ourselves. It isn't doing stuff for ourselves. It was totally the opposite of what the world tells us or would tell them. This kingdom is upside down. It's not about status, getting ahead, or even escaping from what we are in. Jesus' kingdom was dying for others. Our bread... We just heard a couple of weeks ago. Not my bread, our bread. Being a neighbor of the nobodies, that's the kingdom God wants. Standing up for the weak, for the outcasts, for the oppressed, the despised. Not what Jesus' followers, his disciples, expected at all. They wanted a powerful conqueror. They got a servant. We see this kingdom power and glory in 
lots of the New Testament. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 to 11, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that is the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is kingdom and power and glory, but a sort which our world and the world of Jesus' day knew absolutely nothing about. Tom Wright, the amazing scholar, talks about the way the rulers of this earth do kingdom. But we are going to do it the servant way, because the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many, as Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 45. This is a redefinition of kingdom and power and glory, and it's woven into the story of Jesus throughout the New Testament and in the Lord's Prayer all the way through. So what is this kingdom? The kingdom that Jesus referred to wasn't made out of brick. It wasn't a fortress to keep people in or out. He was talking about building a kingdom where all belong and everyone finds a home. It's not about getting the biggest salary. It's not about getting the biggest house or the newest thing. It's actually about gathering people, bringing people into the world of knowing Jesus and their Father in heaven. This kingdom isn't about walls, it's about gathering. And this kingdom isn't about making stuff or freeing ourselves, but welcoming others. What is your kingdom? And is it God's? Is it outside the school gates when you're dropping off the kids in the morning? Your home group, your coffee morning, your school, your college, your sports club, your workplace, your social media platform. Where do you have influence and how do you use it? If it's his kingdom and not mine, if it's his gifts and not mine, then this should change the way I live. Our attitudes should change. Walking to work, to home group, school, college, thinking about how amazing God is. When life goes well, are we praising God for the grace he gave us? I'll give you an example. I'm a teacher, and I used to work in a really tough school in West London. We used to joke in the staff room that if you went through a day without seeing blood in a fight, it was a great day. But it was an amazing school. There were the most beautiful students. There was real brokenness, but it was beautiful too. And I had a kingdom there. My classroom was my kingdom. I challenged the students to be the best they were. I owned the door. God owned the doorway. And outside in the corridors, lots could be going on. 
but my room was mine, and I was determined to be a little bit of God in my daily life. So each day I would pray over the door of my classroom for courage, for protection. I wanted to stand up and to be consistent. And above all, I wanted to show fairness, I wanted to show God, and I wanted to share my passion for English. And it worked. I was there for four years, and I was one of the longest standing members of staff by that point. I knew that my support for the kids meant they got GCSEs when they may not have done. And I knew that I was loving and consistent, even if they didn't get that anywhere else. But to be honest, it was very easy for me to think when it went well and they respected me, that it was my kingdom. I built it, that I own it. I did well. And it's understandable that we all want praise. I want my students to think that I'm the best, the coolest, the ski instructing, I know what grime is, teacher. I want the students around the school to kind of say, oh yes, she's the great teacher, everyone wants to be in her class. And I want that kingdom to be mine. And the power, and definitely the glory. In fact, it's so easy to think that this life, my teaching, even now, for example, is mine. My gifts, my talents, my expertise, they are mine. They're gifts from God. God has given me these gifts. It was never mine. They are only his. So it's not about building my kingdom. It's about building his kingdom for his glory. So power and glory, but... What about if we're weak? There are times when we are weak. When things are going wrong. When our lives are not sorted, we're struggling with illness or anxiety, or we are weighed down by life. Then being able to give God the kingdom, the power and the glory is still possible. God uses us even in our weakness. In fact, some of the most amazing and inspiring people in the Bible are the ones who are weak or nobodies or outcasts. In the Old Testament, as we read earlier, there's a guy called Gideon. He may seem like an ordinary chap, but actually ordinary would be a huge compliment. He was the weakest son in the weakest family, in the weakest tribe in Israel. And Israel had been oppressed by all the other countries nearby. And his job was to thresh wheat. Now this means you have to separate the wheat from the unneeded chaff, which is normally done in the open air. So the chaff can be blown away by the winds. But Gideon was doing this in a wine press, in a hole in the ground. He is doing this because he is scared of the Midianites, the enemy who might invade. We're going to turn now to Judges, and let's have a look at that. We're going to start halfway through verse 11. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord. Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
Where are the wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the hand of Midian. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. God said that he was a mighty warrior. Is he? No. He is weak. How can you be a warrior for God? He was hiding in the ground because the Holy Spirit came upon him. Go in the strength you have. Empowered, enabled by him. He couldn't take the glory. Am I not sending you? God could. I will be with you. Was he weak? Was he anxious? Was he afraid? Yes. He was a coward hiding in a hole. He was a nobody. He was hiding. But God gave him power beyond his imagining to fight against oppression. What does God's kingdom and power and glory look like? You know, I often think that the church, and I mean the family of God, the church, is a bit like a glimpse of God's kingdom. Some years ago, uh, at the house party, the summer house party, we go on. I had a morning group, and there was a group with a very challenging young person in it. These were 14, 15-year-olds. And there was a person in the group who was lovely, but they had special needs, and they did not fit in. This person was not powerful, all cool. And the rest of us, the rest of the world, would tell us to laugh at them, to mock them. At best, to ignore them. They were embarrassing. But one of the things I found completely beautiful about this group of young people of 14 and 15-year-olds was that they were unfailingly kind. They looked out for this person. They didn't mock. They included them. They could have ignored. They could have laughed. They could have excluded They would have done exactly what the world tells us we should do all the time. They didn't. But they gave God the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That power wasn't from them. It was hard. I saw them. I wonder if we remember what it was like to be in our teenage years and to stand up to the crowd. And even now, it is still hard to stand up to what the world tells us we should do and believe. They brought a little bit of God's kingdom when he brings in everyone. And I respected that. And I said to them, they were grown to grow into amazing adults. They were living a little bit of God's kingdom already. They were being like Gideon, stepping out in the power God gave them.
Maybe it's a kingdom where people are working in environments where to be a Christian is ridiculed. Maybe it's a place of struggle and weakness if you're in a family where you cannot speak about your faith. Maybe it's our link missionaries who can't mention the mission because they're in a country where to mention your faith is not allowed. It's forbidden to be a Jesus follower, a Christian. The power of the Holy Spirit in people. We have to call out the evil that works against this in this world. Not the world's way, the servant's way. The kingdom, the power and the glory yours. And how can I give my kingdom to God? It's through God's power. If we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, we should live like a signpost to God. Do our actions, our lives reflect a person who has this amazing, freeing, forgiving, life-giving God? Does it mean we don't make mistakes? Not at all. It means my talents, my sports, my free time, my influence. I give them to God and I ask for forgiveness and I go back to that servant again. Let's go back to Jesus this morning. His early church, his disciples, his followers thought that a kingdom would come along and kick out the Romans. But actually Jesus meant dying in the most painful, excruciating way. Giving himself up for others. Overcoming oppression with love. With crazy grace, crazy love, crazy self-sacrifice. And this is the kingdom he wants. He wants us to give ourselves over to being like Jesus, loving, using our lives with the power of God to bring a kingdom where all are included. Are we weak? God can use you. God gives us his Holy Spirit, Ruach, the breath and wind of God. God's very spirit in us, his energy. God breathing through us and giving us power like Gideon. Where do we feel it? For me, it's when I worship. And that's where I come back to, and that's what I love about a Sunday, is with my family feeling God's ruach through me in the songs, feeling God's presence renewed power to go with God for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. We love the unloved. We go out and be Jesus with the outsiders. And it's God's kingdom. It's God's humble power we're given. So give it all to God for his glory. Am I not sending you. Well, before we, we sing our final, final hymn, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to come uh, before you afresh this morning and, and confess that so often we make it all about ourselves. Uh, we, we make it all about our kingdom, our power, and our glory. And Father, we confess it's so easy for us to slip into that mode. 
And sometimes we clothe it in, in, in spiritual language. Father, help us to realize it's not about us. It's all about you. It's all about your glory, your power, and your kingdom. And help us, therefore, even when we feel weak, to, to offer the little strength we have to you and allow you to work through us so that we can extend your kingdom, so we can reach out to, to those nobodies, those untouchables, that we can make a difference for your kingdom and that the glory can go to you and that we can do it in your strength. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.